Chapter Seven of John Dean of Toronto. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. John Dean of Toronto: A Comedy of Whitehall by George Herbert Jenkins. Chapter Seven. Mister Naylor receives a visitor. One. Eight five feet six and a half inches. Five feet eight, sir. Chest thirty-eight. Thirty-eight and a half, sir. Weight eleven stone. Twelve stone, sir. Near enough. Yes, sir, replied Thompson. You've got everything? Down to his underwear, sir, was the response. The ring? Yes, sir. Malcolm Sage looked up from the buff-coloured paper before him, then, picking up a photograph from the table, proceeded to study it with great intenseness. Yes, he said, Finlay can do it. At that moment Colonel Walton strode into the room, smoking the inevitable cigar. Thompson straightened himself to attention. Malcolm Sage nodded, then once more became absorbed in the photograph. I hear Finlay's here, said Colonel Walton. Sage looked up and nodded. "'We've just been uh, checking his measurements,' he said. "'With that Bergen fellows?' Sage nodded. "'It's a considerable risk,' said Colonel Walton. "'Finlay likes them,' retorted Sage, without looking up. "'I'd give a good deal to solve that little mystery.' The mystery to which Malcolm Sage referred was the arrest of a man on a Bergen Hall boat some ten days previously. Although his passport and papers were in order, his story when he had been interrogated was not altogether satisfactory. It had been decided to deport him, but Malcolm Sage, who had subjected him to a lengthy cross-examination, had decided that it would be better to detain him for the time being, and the suspect was consequently lodged in the tower. Both Malcolm Sage and Colonel Walton were convinced that he had been sent over on a special mission. "'Where's Finlay?' asked Colonel Walton. "'He's uh, painting the lily,' said Sage, with a glint in his eye. "'In other words,' inquired Colonel Walton, "'seeing how near he can get to this Bergen fellow, "'I took him down to the tower to see the men together.' Colonel Walton nodded. Malcolm Sage regarded disguise as exclusively the asset of the detection of fiction. A disguise he maintained could always be identified, though not necessarily penetrated. Few men could disguise their walk or bearing, no matter how clever they might be with the aid of false beards and wigs. "'You remember the lost code-book?' Sage queried. "'I do,' said Colonel Walton. "'A remarkable piece of work of Finlay's,' continued Sage. It wasn't a disguise, it was an alteration, trim of moustache, cut and colour of hair, darkened skin, and such trifles. And a black eye, sir, interpolated Thompson. That was certainly a happy stroke, cried Colonel Walton. It takes a good deal of moral courage to black your own eye, said Sage quietly. I tried it once myself. How do you plan to proceed? It was Colonel Walton who spoke. If Naylor is really the man we're after, and this Bergen fellow is on a secret mission, then it's pretty sure they were intended to get in touch. Sage paused for a moment, then added, 
Anyhow, it's worth trying, to risk, of course. Naylor may have met him before. Well, the risk will be mainly Finlay's, said Colonel Walton dryly, as he smoked meditatively. It would be yours or mine, Chief, only nature cast us in a different mould. For some moments Colonel Walton did not reply. I don't like sending a man on a... He paused. There's no question of sending Finlay. It's more a matter of holding him back. By the way, he continued casually, Thompson burgled John Dean's place last night, got a set of plans, the Chet signed by Lister and the Skipper, and one or two other papers that should be useful. I don't quite like it, Sage. Colonel Walton knitted his brows. It's giving the Yard something to do, was Sage's indifferent reply. They're buzzing about John Dean like flies today. He's expressing himself to them in choice Canadian, too, so Thompson tells me. Thompson gave an appreciative grin. I dropped in there this morning, sir, and... Uh... He did not conclude his sentence, but his look was one of keen appreciation. He's got some words, has Inspector Bluggers, he added. <laughs> but Mr. Dean left him standing. We've just been going over the points of Finlay and the Bergen man, explained Sage. They're pretty well in agreement. Personally, I believe there's a lot in that ring. We stripped the other fellow of his clothes. Finlay insisted on having them baked. Fussy sort of chap and things like that, he added. But the ring. Men don't generally wear turquoises set in an eccentric pattern. Hmm? He looked up suddenly. Colonel Walton looked across at him interrogatingly. You remember the initials inside, Chief? Colonel Walton nodded. D-U-A, weren't they? What about Deutsches Uber Alice? <laughs> A bit obvious, suggested Colonel Walton. The Hun always is. There was a knock at the door. Come in, called Colonel Walton. A moment later there entered a man of foreign appearance, with dark, well-brushed hair, sallow skin, and the deprecating manner of one who is in a country where he is not quite sure either of the customs or of the language. For a moment he stood smiling. Malcolm Sage caught Colonel Walton's eye. Upon Thompson's face there spread a grin of admiration. "'Wonderful, Finlay,' said Colonel Walton. "'Wonderful!' "'You think it is like?' inquired he, who had been addressed as Finlay. "'Wonderful!' repeated Colonel Walton. "'But,' he added a moment after, "'it's a dangerous game.' Finlay shrugged his shoulders in a manner that was almost aggressively un-English. He possessed one remarkable characteristic. Once he had assumed a personality, he continued to be that man until he finally relinquished the part. "'He'll put you to sleep if you make a mistake,' said Sage, with uncompromising candor. Again the shrug of the shoulders. "'That ring,' said Sage, pointing to a flat gold band on the third finger of the left hand, in which were set three turquoises in the form of a triangle. "'What do you make of the inscription?' "'I do not know,' said Finlay, with the finicking inflection of one talking a strange tongue. "'What about—' Deutsches Uber alles, suggested Walton. Ah, you have discovered. 
perfect said sage absolutely perfect you're a genius finlay with a smile and a half shrug of his shoulders finlay deprecated the compliment where are you going to stay inquired colonel walton at the ritzen with john dean same floor if possible said sage he starts from the tower tomorrow morning released you know colonel walton nodded by the way thompson you didn't happen to drop any fingerprints about in waterloo place rubber gloves sir said thompson with a smile malcolm sage nodded it would embarrass a bit if you got lodged in brixton prison said colonel walton no chance of that sir was the confident retort the account will be in the papers this afternoon i understand malcolm sage nodded well finlay said walton off you go and the best of luck if you bring this off you ought to get a cbe got in himmel cried finlay in such tragic consternation that both colonel walton and sage were forced to smile no sir said sage dryly we must guard department z against the order of the british empire it deserves well of the country when does he go to streatham inquired colonel walton i go now responded finlay if i find the place these suburbs he rolled his eyes expressively malcolm sage smiled grimly two for some time mr naylor had sat staring in front of him immobile but for the movement of his eyes and the compression of his pouch-like lips as he swallowed irritation or anxiety always caused him to swallow with a noisy gulp-like sound since lunch he had scowled impartially upon everything mrs naylor susan james the paper his food all seemed to come under the ban of his displeasure from time to time he muttered under his breath he made several efforts to concentrate upon the newspaper before him but without success his eyes would wander from the page and scowl into vacancy the heavy jowls seemed to mould his face into a brutal square which with his persistent swallowing gave him the appearance of a toad his original anger at the threatened advent of a visitor seemed to have changed into irritation at his non-arrival from time to time he looked at his watch a step echoing in the street brought him to a listening attitude when at last a ring sounded at the bell followed by a peremptory rat-tat he started violently he listened intently to the pad of mrs naylor's footsteps along the passage to the murmur of voices that followed and the sound of steps approaching when the door opened the scowl had fled from mr naylor's features the jowls had lifted the set frown had passed from his brows his mouth was pursed up into a smile only one degree less repellent than the look that it had replaced mr naylor had assumed his best public meeting manner mr badwelder he queried as he shook hands and motioned his visitor to a seat we shall not be overheard no interrogated van helder mr naylor shook his head transferring his eyes from a paperweight before him to his visitor's face and back again to the paperweight these london suburbs exclaimed van helder as he drew a silk handkerchief from his pocket and proceeded to wipe his face i seem to have pursued you everywhere i crossed from bergen on the twenty-first he added with a smile the twenty-first repeated mr naylor just ten days ago 
continued Van Helder. I came not before because... He raised his eyes suddenly and looked straight at Mr. Naylor, who smiled. But there was guile between the momentary exposure of his yellow teeth. The crossing, continued Van Helder, three times the alarm of U-boats. He smiled a crafty little smile. The Germans, they make the sea unsafe. Again he smiled. So you have been in London since the twenty-first, Mr. Naylor's tone was casual, but his eyes glinted. Van Helder nodded indifferently. Where are you staying? Mr. Naylor's eyes never left his visitor's face. At the Ritzon. You have been comfortable? The tone was conversational. Again Van Helder shrugged his shoulders. You have been seeing the sights. Again the tone was casual, but in Mr. Naylor's eyes there was a crafty look. It is as I have been told, said Van Helder with a smile. Always cautious. You are fond of dogs, he added irrelevantly. I heard one. James does not like strangers. This with a sinister smile. No, continued the other, taking a cigarette case from his pocket and offering it to Mr. Naylor, who declined. I may smoke? Mr. Naylor nodded. Van Helder lighted a cigarette and proceeded to blow smoke rings with quiet content. He wanted to think. It was obvious to him that something was wrong, something lacking. There was the suggestion in his host's manner of a cat watching a mouse, watching and waiting. Uh, you are becoming, uh, how do you call it, uh, ungeschickt he said with a disarming smile as he blew three rings in rapid succession. Do you think so? Mr. Naylor smiled amiably. Yes. How do you call it uh, awkward, uh, clumsy? You have lived long in England, he continued a little contemptuously as he ejected more smoke rings. Do you find London interesting? asked Mr. Naylor with ominous calm. He was determined to pick up the thread of conversation that had been snatched from his hand. "'You are a fool,' Van Helder turned just as he emitted a smoke ring. At the calm insolence of his voice, Mr. Naylor started slightly, but quickly recovered himself. "'What do you mean?' "'I have been in the tower.' For the fraction of a second, Van Helder's eyes sought those of Mr. Naylor. Was it relief that he saw?' The change was only momentary, just a flash. Van Helder continued to blow smoke rings, as if entirely indifferent alike to his host's presence and emotions. I was released yesterday morning. They uh, apologized for my detention. And you came here. Mr. Naylor's voice was even and devoid of inflection. Deliberately, Van Helder took from his pocket a gold ring set with three turquoises in the form of a triangle. It was his last card. Ah, I see you look at my ring, he said, seeing Mr. Naylor's eyes fixed greedily upon it. It was given to me by one whom I serve. Deliberately, he drew it from his finger again and handed it to Mr. Naylor, who took it casually and proceeded to examine it. The other watched him closely. Yes, he was looking at the inscription on the inside. They are not my initials said Van Helder. Mr. Naylor looked up quickly. No, he said, returning the ring. 
The other shrugged his shoulders without replying. Mr. Naylor's manner had undergone a change. "'And uh, now about John Dean. Ah!' as one smoke-ring passed through another. "'John Dean.' "'Yes, of Toronto,' continued Van Helder, smiling and continuing to blow rings with apparent enjoyment. "'He is staying at the Ritzon, too.' "'London is full of visitors.' "'My friend, we waste time. There is such a thing as over-caution. As I say, you are ungeschickt. There was that affair of John Dean's lunch.' Such things will not please those, uh... He shrugged his shoulders. For fully a minute, Naylor gazed at him quietly, searchingly. Then there was the chocolates and the girl. I do not understand. Mr. Naylor looked across at him craftily. They waste time. I know, I will tell you. The secretary, you, makes uh, your woman offer her chocolates at a tea shop and to go for a ride in a taxi. The chocolates, he shrugged his shoulders expressively, she refuses. You are clumsy. The contemptuous insolence of his visitor seemed to impress Mr. Naylor. The look of suspicion in his eyes became less marked. How did you know? he asked, still wary. They waste time was the response with a wave of the hand. For a few moments Mr. Naylor sat watching Van Helder as he continued to blow rings with manifest content. Listen, continued Van Helder, John Dean has brought over here an invention, a submarine that is to end the war. He has given it to the Admiralty. Given it, involuntarily repeated Mr. Naylor. Given it. There are patriots even in England. You think he is trying to sell it, therefore you try to remove him. Not selling it. Mr. Naylor leaned slightly forward. He gives it on condition that he commands it with his own men. It uh, makes easy the matter. Then it is true what... Mr. Naylor stopped. How did you learn this? He slobbered his words slightly as he spoke. I know things. It is my duty was the response. But what proof? With great deliberation, Van Helder drew from his pocket a large envelope. Extracting a single sheet of paper, he handed it across the table. Mr. Naylor snatched it eagerly and proceeded to devour it with his eyes. I also got a set of plans of a submarine. <laughs> but it was one of our own. <laughs> he is clever, this man. How did you get it? Van Helder smiled. How did you get the copy? he inquired. The copy? How did you know? Mr. Naylor stared at him, his jaw a little dropped. He swallowed noisily. You have been clumsy, repeated Van Helder. You tried to kill the cock that lays the eggs of gold. He shrugged his shoulders contemptuously. Mr. Naylor flushed angrily. Man, you? he almost snarled. I am here to watch. He looked across at Mr. Naylor with a cunning smile. He was at last sure of his ground. Watch who? Van Helder shrugged his shoulders and proceeded to light a new cigarette from the burning end of the old one. You must not kill yet, he said, gazing at the end of his cigarette to see that it was well alight. What then? demanded Mr. Naylor. His jowls had returned, and the yellow of his teeth was visible between his slightly parted lips. 
Eights and watch, was the reply. And let him go north, sneered the other. If you kill, where are the plans? Do as you would, he continued indifferently. There would be the day for you, too. Now I go. He made a movement to rise, but Mr. Naylor motioned him back into his chair. Two hours later, Mr. Naylor himself let out his visitor. Closing the front door, he returned to his study, where for an hour he sat at his table gazing straight in front of him. Mr. Naylor was puzzled. Conscious that he was being followed by a small man in a grey suit with shifty eyes, James Finlay made his way leisurely to the high road where he took a bus bound for Piccadilly Circus. End of chapter 7